Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. We soon will know, maybe, where every congressman and woman stands on the matter of impeaching President Trump. The lead starts right now. Breaking news this hour, the House of Representatives could vote on an impeachment resolution against the president. What are Democrats saying constitutes grounds for impeachment? Also this hour, President Trump on his way to a campaign rally as we find out that his Trump card in 2020 could well be the race card. Plus, Trump's tell. The one word that our fact checker says is a telltale sign. President's in the middle of a whopper. This is CNN Breaking News. Welcome to The Lead. I'm Jake Tapper. We begin with breaking news. This hour, we expect a vote on the House floor over whether to impeach President Trump after Democratic Congressman Al Green of Texas, for whom this has been something of a cause since December 2017, introduced the impeachment resolution against him, not for any Russia-related reasons, but over the president's racist tweets in which the president told four Democratic congresswomen of color, all U.S. citizens, three of the four born in the U.S., to go back where they came from. This is about bigotry and racism, and that racism that's been infused into policy. Are racist tweets really a high crimes and misdemeanors? His tweets can incite people to do harm. Congressman Green going a bit rogue there, telling CNN that he did not speak with Speaker Pelosi about this move. Pelosi saying this afternoon that she's not sure what Democratic leadership is going to do with this resolution, though she personally opposes it. Now, this decision on how to vote... This decision comes while some moderate House Democrats were already privately expressing concern that because of the president's racist tweets against their four colleagues, they've now been put in the position of embracing members of Congress who have said and done things they disagree with, controversial things, even anti-Semitic sentiments. Moreover, as one House Democratic congressman told me this afternoon, quote, the president's words and actions speak for themselves. We need to focus on the issues that got us, the Democratic majority, here, jobs, health care. Instead of the issues the president brings up deliberately, anything that takes away from bread and butter issues is playing into his hands, unquote. CNN's Phil Manningly is on Capitol Hill for us right now. And Phil, a source tells CNN that Democratic leaders want to kill Congressman Al Green's impeachment resolution. Yeah, that's exactly right. Democratic leaders from Nancy Pelosi on down have made clear they want no part of this effort by Congressman Al Green. And the reasons are twofold. First and foremost, they believe, and Speaker Pelosi has made clear, there is a set pathway that Democrats can take and are taking related to investigating the president. And that investigation, in large part, focuses on obstruction, which, as you noted, this impeachment resolution doesn't at all. But there's also the political element here. Democratic leaders have been very wary of forcing their members into an up or down vote on this issue. So what they'll be doing is using a procedural mechanism to essentially kill this without having an actual vote on impeachment itself. Keep in mind, while there are 80 Democrats, more than 80 Democrats, who support opening an impeachment inquiry, that is less than a third of the Democratic caucus. The vast majority of Democrats right now are backing Speaker Pelosi's effort in terms of investigations, not moving forward with impeachment. Democratic leadership trying to keep the peace here. They have to deal with this, but they're going to do their best to dispatch with it as quickly as possible, Jake. And Phil, we've heard a lot about the squad, those four very progressive members of Congress that were just elected. What are you hearing from 
more modern, uh, I'm sorry, more moderate Democrats, uh, especially the ones who were elected in November from more swing districts and are the reasons why Democrats retook the House. Yeah, look, there's palpable frustration. I think it's been there from, to be frank, the beginning of Congress. There's been a sense that the progressive Democrats with their large social media followings and kind of big picture, big sweeping proposals have garnered much of the headlines, much of the attention to the frustration of a lot of these Democrats who are keenly aware that they're the reason Democrats are in power in the U.S. House. They're the reason Nancy Pelosi is the Speaker of the House. But there's also a very kind of minutiae frustration when it comes to what's happened over the course of the last couple of days. The fact that there was a very lengthy and boisterous debate on the floor related to a resolution condemning the president, the fact that they're having to hold this impeachment uh, proposal vote in, uh, in a couple of hours here, they're not here to do this, was what one Democratic member told me earlier, really echoing what the Democratic lawmaker told you. He said uh, bluntly, I wasn't sent here for this kind of stuff. And I think there's frustration right now. The big question is, given the fact the party needs to unify with some big picture items going forward, how do they rectify that? Uh, we'll have to wait and see. All right, Phil Mattingly on Capitol Hill. Uh, let's chew over all this. Uh, we, we can talk about uh, the squad uh, in the next block. I want to focus on impeachment right now if we can. Um, is it a mistake for Pelosi and the Democratic leaders to try to squash this impeachment resolution? Uh, I think they should let one of these resolutions at least see where the votes are going to come from. Right. Let's get on the floor. Let's let people express themselves. Maybe that will let some of the energy out of the balloon. But there are a lot of people in the base of the Democratic Party that want to hold the president accountable. And it might just take having a vote to make them feel better about it. And we should know that Congressman Green has been introducing this uh, since December 2017, uh, back when uh, Republicans still uh, controlled uh, the House. But now Democrats are in control. And I think about a third of the Democratic caucus, a third of the House members are on record saying they support impeachment, a lot of them not giving any answers. Yes, yeah, so you saw a slew of Democrats publicly embrace at least an impeachment inquiry, especially after special counsel or former special counsel Robert Mueller gave what has so far been his only public statement on the Mueller report just a couple months ago. But then you kind of saw that talk uh, really taper off for a little while. And I think what's frustrating for House Democratic leaders in this moment is what this vote does is it casts a spotlight back on some of the internal divisions within the Democratic Party when you really saw this unifying moment over the course of the past couple of days where the party came together to defend the so-called squad. And it kind of then took the conversation away from this uh, back and forth you've had between some of these more progressive members of Congress who are demanding action from House Speaker Nancy Pelosi and her efforts to say we're just not there yet on impeachment. Let's talk about squad if we can. Um, I have been uh, spending the day talking to a lot of Democratic House members. They are very frustrated with the squad. <laughs> they are very frustrated with them for any number of reasons. You heard uh, in the introduction uh, one House Democrat saying we need to be talking about bread and butter issues, not the president's tweets. But others say they don't want to be in the position of defending things that they disagree with from, say, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Right. I mean, this is exactly what the this is the position that the president and the Republican Party, who has backed him up on this, has forced Democrats into. They are painting the entire Democratic Party with the same brush. Uh, they're even painting the entire squad with the same brush, which, frankly, is an, a simplification of what what is happening here. Not everybody in the squad has made uh, controversial comments, uh, frankly. And so that's part of uh, what has become the strategy from the president. And it's what's going to make this really tricky for Democrats. On the one hand, the president 
has successfully unified the Democratic Party uh, in opposition to him, which has been the, the key unifier for the last two and a half years. But on the other hand, there is some heartburn, and probably rightfully so, that they're not going to be able to control the simplicity of the president's message, which is that uh, that the Democrats are embracing socialists and communists and anti-Semites. Uh, all of that is an oversimplification, but this is how the president operates. It's in tweet-sized bites and things that he can then take to his rally tonight, which we'll see, uh, and, uh, and make this about, do you love America or do you hate America? That's going to be a hard argument for Democrats to counter. Yeah, I think what surprises me is despite Trump unifying the Democratic caucus over the past couple days, it's still clear that, and I'm surprised by it, uh, that Pelosi doesn't have con a lot of control here. And this impeachment vote is another sign of that. I would not have predicted that when the Democrats took the House. I thought she was going to rule with an iron fist like she normally does. Um, and her problem gets worse the more high profile the squad becomes. And this fight is obviously elevating them, which is not Trump's strategy because he has no strategy. Uh, but it is a consequence of this fight they're having. And Democrats will have to come to the aid loudly of folks who are policy-wise not in the mainstream of Amer like with American voters. Um, so that's going to be an issue for them while Trump continues to suffer from his own very big problems. Well, one House Democrat told me, speaking on condition of anonymity, uh, that what Trump has done is brilliant, that he's won this one, because what he's gotten uh, them to do, what he's, got, what he's established is, first of all, now the squad is the face of the Democratic Party instead of Nancy Pelosi. And also uh, that Nancy Pelosi had gotten all her lieutenants on board uh, to try to marginalize the squad. And then he did this racist tweet uh, and, and now she's had to do a, a 180 and, and defend them. And people, a lot of people don't like what they stand for. A lot of Democrats don't like what they stand for. A lot for. of people don't, but they're up to two different things. I think here's the challenge for the quote unquote squad, as some people call them, is that they, um, they have to decide how much they're going to participate in the institution of the House. And I think there are people who are in the House who say, listen, when the president attacks you, we're going to come to your defense and we're going to look out for you. But that means that you've got to kind of come to our defense and be there for us, too. That means not challenging incumbent members who haven't really done anything wrong. Don't organize to challenge them. At the same time, the people in the squad, I think some of the more progressive members, are thinking about the long-term vision direction of the Democratic Party. They're not thinking about passing legislation this year, necessarily. They're thinking about where does the Democratic go, where does the Democratic Party go, what does it stand for? Nancy Pelosi is a counter. She wants to know how many votes do you have this week and how are we going to pass this piece of legislation, yes or no. And that determines whether or not you're going to stand with, uh, you're going to be a part of the caucus and be revered by her. All right, everyone stick around. We're going to keep talking about this subject, the branding plan that President Trump ho hopes will stick after his rally tonight in the great state of North Carolina. Plus tonight, what could be the largest protest yet in the streets of one U.S. city in the wake of alleged corruption and scandal. Stay with us. Our politics lead now. President Trump this hour will depart for a rally in the Tar Heel State, North Carolina, a state key to his 2016 victory and his 2020 reelection campaign. And President Trump left no doubt today that he will target those four Democratic congresswomen of color who he told back he told to go back to their home countries, tweeting, quote, I'll talk talk also about people who love and hate our country, mostly love this evening. The president insisting that his racist comments were not, in fact, racist, but he might want to consult the U.S. Equal Opportunity Employment Commission manual, which states, and I'm quoting here, that harassment based on national origin includes, quote, insults, taunting, or ethnic epithets, such as making fun of a person's foreign accent or comments like, go back to where you came from, whether made by supervisors 
or by coworkers, unquote. As CNN's Caitlin Collins now reports, the president and his advisors believe it is to his political advantage to brand these four Democrats as the face of the Democratic Party. It's my opinion they hate our country. That's the message President Trump plans to test drive at his rally in North Carolina tonight. They shouldn't hate our country. The president will be in friendly territory, surrounded by his supporters. But before he left Washington, he made clear he'll bring his fight with four Democratic congresswomen of color with him. Teasing in a tweet, he'll talk about people who love and hate our country. The rally coming one day after every House Democrat, plus four Republicans and an independent, voted to condemn Trump's racist attacks on the four lawmakers, whom he has now labeled vicious young socialist congresswomen. It's a message the president hopes will help him win in 2020, sources say, as he hopes to cast the Democratic Party as left-wing and un-American. This is what's happening to the party, and it's totally feeding into our hand, and I hope they keep on doing it. The president's son made the strategy clear today. And the reason my father's going to win again is this isn't the party of, of, of JFK anymore. I mean, this isn't the Democratic Party. I mean, this is literally a, a radical socialist party that does not relate to everyday Americans. But the women Trump will portray as the face of the Democratic Party are pushing back. This is a distraction. This is a person that uh, really wants to vilify, demonize not only immigrants, but even communities of color, uh, as many of my sisters here have been talking about. Publicly, Democrats have rallied around the four women. Days after the group sparred with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, tensions the freshman members downplayed today. That does not mean that there is a fundamental fracture or a dehumanizing uh, going on within our caucus. But congressional sources tell CNN some Democratic moderates are not happy with having been dragged into this week's drama and forced to defend the so-called squad, who themselves have been accused of controversial actions and statements, including anti-Semitism. That we think... Now, Jake, now that the shock has worn off among the president's aides over those tweets, he's viewing them as a success and says he wants to use them as a political strategy, including here tonight at this rally in North Carolina. But of course, the question, Jake, is going to be whether or not that's a strategy that works. All right. Caitlin Collins in beautiful Greenville, North Carolina. Thanks so much. Um, Abby, when push comes to sub, the president's advisors think that going after these four women will be good for his reelection. And I could see how maybe it would play well in North Carolina. But there are other states, other battleground states, where it might not play so well. Florida, for example. I think we need to make a distinction between the strategy that they've landed on after the fact, after the president tweeted it, and what the president intended when he tweeted it. There's no way that any anyone is going to seriously make an argument that uh, a racist attack against four uh, Democratic women of color is a campaign strategy. On the other hand, it has played into the president's campaign to paint the entire Democratic Party with uh, the quote-unquote socialist brush. That has been the strategy from the beginning. They thought that they would use Bernie Sanders to do that, and now I think they believe that they can use the squad to do that. So uh, that just happens to be where they have landed, but the, the race part of this has nothing to do with a campaign strategy, and in fact, that could actually hurt the president in all the places that he needs to actually improve upon his 2016 performance, particularly in the suburbs. Uh, Mary Catherine, you're actually from North Carolina, yes. uh, from the Research Triangle area. Uh, you know, Democrats. We like to be specific. Dur okay. Uh, <laughs> Democrats and Republicans, you know, there. Yeah. Uh, 
Do you think this will work? Is this going to help get him voters that he didn't get before? Well, I think there's always an upside and a downside. And the downside, which is very large, is that it will turn off suburban, college-educated female voters. uh, And you need some of those to pull a state like North Carolina that is a little purplish. Um, And this is the exact kind of thing that seems calculated to turn them off. On the other hand, Mm -hmm. many of those voters are not policy-wise or rhetorically on the same page with the squad. And the squad is not historically careful about the way it uses yeah. the rhetoric of, of the left and their ideology uh, to keep it sort of tamped down and, uh, and appeal to those voters. So it's speaking, speaking pulling of which, both ways. Speaking of which, Jamal, you heard uh, both Caitlin and Phil report on how there are House moderates who are upset about how they are now being portrayed as embracing the squad when they have some issues with some of them. Take a listen to what a, a different uh, member of the House uh, a Democrat told me this afternoon, quote, everybody was completely outraged by what the president said and everybody thought it was appropriate to criticize him. But this was the first time the House has taken action to criticize him in any way. And we couldn't even bring ourselves to have a resolution exclusively condemning anti-Semitism uttered by one of those members, a reference to Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, uh, quote, but we leapt to their defense here. Now, granted, it comes from the president and that's a different animal, but some of us are getting pushback from Jewish supporters. And this member noted that the squad, or at least some members of it, is now going to bring up a measure to boycott Israel, the BDS uh, resolution next week, quote, so we will hear a tirade of attacks from the same group, hopefully they won't be anti-Semitic. So the unity of Democratic, uh, you know, support for one another, uh, actually behind the scenes, it's a little different. Yeah, this is what I was talking about a second ago. There are a lot of people in the Democratic caucus who look at this and they say, listen, we'll be there for you, but you've got to be there for us, too, and don't put us in a tough spot all the time. You know, you talked about North Carolina and some of these things. Let me give you a little bit of ancient history. In 2002, I worked in Georgia for Max Cleland. He was a senator in his reelection race. One of the things that was very concerning to us, what we didn't understand, was why Saxby Chambliss was not spending time in the Atlanta suburbs. You know why? Because he was going around on an anti-Confederate flag removal campaign throughout the rest of the South, and he turned out more voters in a bunch of rural counties that no Democrat expected to show up. I'm not convinced this is not part of a strategy by the president to go find a bunch of voters. If you say, I'm only at 48 percent in the existing electorate, I've got to go out and change the nature of the electorate. And I, I'm not convinced that they're not trying to change the nature of the electorate by finding mm. people well, who be animated by attacks I, like this. I think this. you're absolutely right about that. But and on the other hand, that worked for him and gave him, by very narrow margins in 2016, mind you, a victory in the Electoral College. But in 2018, there is not a lot of evidence that that worked out well for Republicans. And so I Does think it's... Does he care just, about other Republicans? It, but it leaves it as an open question. <laughs> yeah. Is this a strategy that will work beyond yeah. Uh, just that one election. We've only had one case study of this strategy for President Trump. Right. Will it work again? I think that the president has shown he's willing to exploit race and identity for political gain. That was very much at the heart of his strategy in 2016, and he's showing a willingness to do it again. Now, the challenge for Democratic leadership here is that he has seen in the squad uh, an opportunity to exploit their own backgrounds particularly with Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, the first two Muslim women elected to Congress. The White House has openly talked about how they kind of see someone like Ilhan Omar as the perfect foil for someone like President Trump. And as the Democratic Party leadership is reckoning with some of the ways in which they are challenging business as usual or some of the longstanding policy positions that the party has held in Washington, how do they not then have that exploited by 
Trump and Republicans mm-hmm. as a conversation that really becomes much more about race and identity rather than the underlying issues where they are trying to act as agents of change. Well, so this, there's also another open question, which is how do 2020 Democrats trying to run against him deal with this kind of thing, which will happen over and over again? The squad, like you said, whether they're going to be part of the, the team here, uh, they're sort of happy to engage in this back and forth, but that may not work for the 2020 candidate, whoever that person may be. And I don't know what the secret formula is for knowing when to engage with this stuff and when not to. But Democrats are going to have to figure it out um, because he tends to uh, not get dirtied by his own dirt, but other people do around him. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see what the Democratic presidential candidates are going to say about this BDS bill, the boycott, divestment and sanction bill against Israel, uh, this resolution next week. Everyone stick around. we got more coming up today. It's Senator Bernie Sanders taking a swipe at Joe Biden. Why he says the former VP is taking a page right out of the Trump playbook. some breaking news for you in our 2020 lead. Right now, you can see Senator Bernie Sanders, uh, independent of Vermont, is drawing a very clear line in the Democratic presidential race, fiercely defending his plans for Medicare for all, which would get rid of all private health insurance. And he's calling out his rivals who disagree with him, including perhaps especially Joe Biden, who Sanders accused of lying about what the Sanders plan would do. CNN's Ryan Nobles is now live for us at the Sanders event. And Ryan, Senator Sanders, not just talking policy today, he's lobbing some pretty pointed attacks at his his opponents. Yeah, you're right about that, Jake. And, you know, Bernie Sanders usually goes out of his way to avoid a direct attack on any of his Democratic opponents. But this week, he is naming names. And it's not a surprise that it's his signature issue of health care that led him to do so. In a week when health care is dominating the 2020 Democratic primary, Bernie Sanders is reminding voters where he stands. We cannot continue with the current dysfunctional health care system. Sanders, whose popular 2016 campaign included Medicare for All, is now testing the position of his fellow Democrats, calling on them to reject donations from lobbyists or executives of health insurance and pharmaceutical companies. You're looking at an industry which has spent in the last 20 years hundreds of millions of dollars on campaign contributions. His campaign also releasing a video accusing Joe Biden of lying about Medicare for all. We'll mention his name, but it might be a former vice president of the United States. Sanders was responding to Biden's claim that the transition to Medicare may leave some without coverage. Biden wants to build on the Affordable Care Act, proposing a public option to allow people to buy into a Medicare-like program. But he warned that Medicare for all goes too far, too fast. Now there are a lot of people running into the party who want to get rid of Obamacare, start over with something new. Well, folks, I'm not for that. The future of Obamacare is at the core of the debate over health care. Kamala Harris, who supports Medicare for All, believes the single-payer system does not dismantle Obamacare. So it is moving on from Obamacare. And, and making improvements on it. And President Obama himself said that there, there are improvements to be made. If that's Kamala's position, she thinks you're able to keep Obamacare and Medicare for All, well then, that's... Maybe something I'm unaware of. I didn't know that was the case. I don't think it's possible. But unlike Sanders, Harris argues Medicare for all can be implemented without a tax hike on the middle class. I'm not in support of of middle class um, families paying more taxes for it. My guess is that people in the middle class will be paying somewhat more in taxes, but they're going to be paying significantly less overall in health care. 
And there's some argument that the Democratic primary is just a lot of different shades of the same color. And this health care debate shows that there are some stark differences. And that's part of the reason that Bernie Sanders is giving this speech here today. And Jake, we should also point out that Joe Biden was asked multiple times this week to respond to Sanders' claim that he's lying about Medicare for all. Biden either refused to comment or just flatly did not answer the question. Jake. All right, Ryan. Thanks so much. Appreciate it. Um, so, Abby, let me start with you. What? Is Biden lying or is there an argument to be made that Medicare for all uh, would result in the consequences that he talks about? There's probably an argument to be made. I mean, I think the fact of the matter is that we don't really know. And I think uh, Joe Biden's strategy is uh, predicated on this idea that this is not a policy that come the general election will be uh, advantageous to Democrats, because when you get beyond the Democratic primary, it's going to be harder to convince people uh, that they that they are willing to take that kind of risk with their health care, something that's incredibly personal and uh, and and important to voters, as as per all of the polls that we've seen recently. So it's hard for Bernie Sanders to say this is absolutely not going to happen uh, because he really doesn't know. And in the places where it's been attempted, uh, it's not really resulted in the, the actually the consequences that Bernie Sanders says that it should result in. So I think there's an open question. I think this is going to be Joe Biden's central strategy as he goes forward. He's staking out that middle lane. Uh, and uh, if he survives the Democratic primary, we will see whether he's right about the general. And, and, and Jamal, Bernie Sanders accusing Biden of, of not only lying about Medicare for all, but using, quote, lies straight out of the playbook of Donald Trump, Mitch McConnell and the health care industry. Uh, what do you think of that strategy? Yeah, there's that quiz that he put up, the online quiz, where he says, who does this sound like? And it's one of those choices that you just named, um, which is pretty tough. I, if I was another campaign, I'd be ready for this at the debates, because I feel like the Bernie Biden debate, if they're on the same stage, is going to be one that is, is worth watching. Uh, and, and Sabrina, Senator Kamala Harris trying to position herself somewhere in the middle here. She says there's going to be, quote, very little role for private insurance under her plan, but also claim, claiming she's, quote, absolutely not moving on from Obamacare. Does that offer the clarity that a lot of people have complained Harris has struggled with? Well, I think it's trying to have it both ways in some respects. One of the challenges for a lot of the major Democratic contenders who have lined up behind Medicare for All is staking out where they stand on the issue of private insurance. Are they eliminating the role of private insurance providers altogether and moving entirely toward government-run health care, or are they perhaps supporting some sort of supplemental uh, coverage? And that's where a lot of these contenders are trying to grapple with exactly where they can stake out some ground. So it doesn't seem like they're perhaps going too far. And at the same time, they're embracing the more bold or progressive ideas that a lot of the base expects of mm -hmm. them. Uh, the Obamacare question is interesting because this also goes back, goes back to what Joe Biden is trying to do, which is bank on the popularity of the Affordable Care Act within the Democratic Party. And so for those who are not like Biden prepared to embrace Medicare for all, I think the counter to that is, well, embracing Medicare for all would also effectively mean the end of Obamacare, which is something that the party has fought so hard to preserve over the last couple of years. And so it'll be interesting where exactly voters land in terms of who they ultimately choose. And, and, and Mary Catherine, you're somebody that has had Obamacare uh, for the last few years. Uh, faithful readers of yours and, and viewers of the show will know that you have had problems with Obamacare. Does Medicare for all sound like the kind of, I mean, obviously you're conservative, so I don't expect right. you'll say yes, but I mean, does, does Medicare for all, uh, is that more appealing? Because you, you always talk about how much you don't like Obamacare, yeah. which you actually have. So the pitch is hard for a couple of reasons. One, because it's hard to answer how you finance this without admitting, yes, we're going to have to raise taxes on people. It's hard to answer how it will work without a 
with the Medicare reimbursement rates and why people won't go out of business. And it's hard to tell people, as we should have learned during Obamacare and that whole argument, that we're going to make giant regulatory changes to this uh, market, but the market's not going to change and all the people who like what they like will keep what they like. That was not true before. It was a lie. Uh, and many people lost the things that they liked. And those people who didn't lose what they liked are very protective of it because their trust has been betrayed on this issue and they've seen it happen to people. That is not to say that there aren't winners under Obamacare and that some people like it, but there were losers as well and there will be losers in any change you make to this market. Um, so you should be honest with people about it. Uh, and Bernie is saying... Even in this four-year transition period, we've made plans for those. Nothing will change. Things will change because the market will change as a result of you putting this new part, this new mechanism in it. And I would also like to say that Biden using the exact same verbiage if as Obama like on this plan, you can just plan. blows my mind. Right, right. Blows my mind. Especially after think, all we've been through. Been through. Brilliant. Of, Brilliant. A lot of Democrats like the idea of this being really a, another public option. That was something we heard a lot during the Obamacare debate. Where's the public option? And I think for a Which lot is of basically uh, optional Medicare. Basically. Right. What they mean is like make Medicare available to right. everybody. So if I don't qualify or don't like one of these private plans, I can get into Medicare and I can use that plan. That's something I think may have real uh, possibility even into the fall of the general election campaign. And, and Abby, Governor Steve Bullock, uh, who let's remind people, the governor of Montana, he's also running for president. Uh, he told The Washington Post about Medicare for all, quote, if Barack Obama got beat up for saying if you like your health plan or do you like your doctor, you can keep it. Well, who knows what would happen? In this instance, basically, yeah. uh, what, what Mary Catherine just yeah, said. Yeah, I mean, this is, when I say we don't know what's going to happen, it's because even with our best predictive abilities, you know, the actuaries and the economic analyses of all of these things, uh, the markets might do things that we don't expect. People might lose things that they want to keep. Uh, things might change about the market that these candidates are not uh, preparing people for. And so what he is voicing is, is probably having watched the Obamacare debate saying we shouldn't even bother to go there because we know that if that turns out to be, to not be true, we'll pay the price, maybe not in this election, but in the next one down the road. And, and Sanders said today in a tweet, quote, candidates who are not willing to reject money from health insurance and pharmaceutical executives should explain to the American people why those interests believe their campaigns are a good investment. He's really trying to up the ante here. He's trying to basically he's saying, I want Medicare for all. And if you're taking money from uh, pharmaceutical companies, from health insurance companies, you're, you're basically corrupted. Well, this goes back to a lot of what Bernie Sanders has said. Even in 2016, one of his central points about Hillary Clinton had to do with corporate influence in politics and, and removing money from politics. So I think you're seeing him kind of revive a lot of the same arguments as he's now trying to hold on to that progressive mantle in a field where he has very much set the agenda. Absolutely. Uh, there's no question that he has made his imprint on where these uh, candidates stand in terms of policy. But because of that, now he also has less potential to distinguish himself. And so I think this is another one of those areas where Bernie Sanders is trying to draw a red line and have everyone else line up behind it. And you can watch these candidates battle it out at the CNN Democratic presidential debates. That will be July 30th and 31st, live from Detroit, Michigan, moderated by Dana Bash and Don Lemon and me right here on CNN. Coming up, listen up. President Trump's dishonesty pattern, the one word he often says that is usually followed by a whopper. That's next. Stay with us. Our 2020 lead now, the president is leaving the White House shortly to head to a campaign rally in North Carolina during what has been a rather dramatic and controversial few days, even for him. And nights like this typically have fact checkers in something of a frenzy. In fact, according to our calculations, Trump regularly makes 20 or more untrue comments per rally. 
In Pennsylvania, in August of last year, he set a record making 36 false statements in just one speech. Let's bring in CNN reporter Daniel Dale, who has fact-checked every single word President Trump has said since taking office. Uh, Daniel, thanks so much for being here. Well, what are you expecting to fact-check tonight? Jake, you watch enough of these, you know that there will be certain subjects that the president is dishonest about. Immigration, health care, trade, his own record, his predecessor's record. One thing I'm looking for tonight is whether he continues his dishonesty about Congresswoman Ilhan Omar. Earlier this week, he made an egregious false claim about her, claiming that she had praised al-Qaeda. This was a, a gross misinterpretation of a comment she made on a PBS show in 2013. So will he add to that? Will he continue that? We'll see. And talking about immigration, as you noted, is almost a, a given at these rallies. It's almost really, honestly, his main topic that he loves to talk about. It, it is. And I can quantify that, having fact-checked everything he said. It is his number one subject of dishonesty throughout his presidency. And I think especially at rallies, when he sees it as kind of red meat to throw at his base. Just yesterday, Jake, he made a series of false claims about immigration. He claimed that human trafficking cannot happen through legal ports of entry, that it's all women being thrown in the back of cars and taken over unwalled areas of the border. Experts say that's not how it happened. Uh, of it does happen through ports of entry. He claimed that his wall is being built quickly. We know that no new miles have been built. He propagated a conspiracy about the governments of Guatemala, uh, Honduras, and El Salvador, saying that they were throwing criminals deliberately into migrant caravans to foist them upon the United States. So it's just false claim after false claim, and, and I would expect him to continue that tonight. And as somebody who is such a, a learned disciple <laughs> of President Trump's uh, lies and mistruths and fibs and all the rest, you've noticed a tell a specific thing that President Trump does, and when you hear it, you're like, oh, here comes a whopper. Yes, and it is the word sir. So you may have noticed that the president tells a lot of stories in which he recounts someone telling him something. And I found that the stories in which that unnamed person, usually doesn't have a name, calls him sir, that story is almost certain to be inaccurate in some way. And take a listen. Uh, here is a, a little montage we made for you. I have people come up to me, sir, we want to follow you. They don't let us on. And they said, sir, we don't want subsidies. They said, sir, we've been trying to get it passed for 44 years. So I was good at getting things passed. A lot of people saying sir to him in these stories. A lot of people are calling him sir. And Jake, people do call him sir, like reporters call him sir. And yet when we fact check these sir stories, they are almost always wrong. So it's a telltale sign that rather than reaching into his memory uh, to tell us something that has actually happened, he is conjuring something from his imagination. In, in poker terms, it's a tell. All right, Daniel Dale, thank you so much. Appreciate it. Good luck tonight. Lots of, lots of coffee, I expect. <laughs> Coming up next, the chat message scandal that has protesters calling on a certain governor in the United States to step down. And the National League now, in just minutes, a fifth day of protest will begin in San Juan, Puerto Rico, where allegations of corruption and scandal have taken over the island. Governor Ricardo Roseo is defying calls to resign and apologizing for his role in what has now been dubbed Ricky Leaks. Nearly 900 pages of chat messages leaked. The governor and his top aides caught using homophobic and misogynistic language to describe other politicians, journalists, and celebrities. And this all comes after the FBI arrested former members of Roseo's cabinet on alleged corruption charges. They're accused of misusing money meant for Hurricane Maria recovery. CNN's Juan Carlos Lopez is in San Juan right now for us. And Juan Carlos, uh, today law enforcement in Puerto Rico issued summons for those who participated in the so-called Ricky Leak scandal. Are, are these people coming forward? 
Well, some of them, Jake, are lawyering up. Remember, Governor Rosselló condemned this chat, but he was one of the administrators of the group. And as you said, this is part of a wide number of corruption scandals on the island that have people really fed up. Now, if you look at the conversations, the tone and what they said, they have a different very image of uh, the one Governor Rosselló had before the scandal as a clean cut, uh, a very straightforward politician. One of those exchanges is with what his chief financial officer, one of his advisors, where they talk about the mayor of San Juan, Carmen Yulín Cruz. Now, the aide in the text messages, which were edited, it's not a continuous chat, says, I am salivating to shoot her. The governor replies on the chat, you'd be doing me a grand favor. Now, he's, he apologized. He went to a church. He said that he was elected. But the chats don't look him, make him or his government look very good, even though there are investigations advancing. And in Puerto Rico, local law says that phone communications are not uh, of free access to the government and they're not considered evidences. And I said the chat is not continuous. It's an edited chat that was leaked to as a, as a sort of revenge against the governor and his uh, advisors. And Juan Carlos, celebrities uh, such as Ricky Martin were mentioned in some of the chat messages. And now Ricky Martin is going to be... A among those protesting this evening, right? Yes, there were very insulting homophobic messages. In this chat, they said that Ricky Martin was such a male chauvinist that women weren't good enough for him, and so that's why he preferred to be intimate with men. Ricky Martin is openly gay, and he is one of the ones calling for those rallies today. Thousands are expected. Now, what we've seen today is a mix of tourists and protesters. It's been mostly peaceful. The only violence that has been registered is when the police, and uh, we're going to show you what's going on now, when the police have decided to either fire tear gas or rubber bullets. But... This is what you see, and this is what we saw last night. It's just people coming. That blue and white building you see at the end is La Fortaleza. That's where the governor lives. There is no access after this corner, and this is where they all come. They yell, they scream, and that's as far as it has gone so far, Jake. All right. Juan Carlos Lopez in San Juan, Puerto Rico for us. Thank you so much. Really appreciate it. One major fact you probably will not hear President Trump mention this evening when he's talking about the economy. Stay with us. The money lead now. You know, I'm old enough to remember when Republicans raged against the deficit and President Trump promised to wipe it out when he was running for office and just Mr. Trump. Well, now President Trump's own White House is projecting that the federal deficit will surpass $1 trillion this year. This will be the first time the federal deficit had that many zeros on its end since the nation was recovering from the Great Recession. A much different time from the stellar economy that President Trump likes to brag about today. There's a big moment coming up. CNN's Wolf Blitzer is going to reveal which candidates will make the cut to participate in CNN's two Democratic presidential debates. And then tomorrow, you can find out who is going to face off against who and when in that two-night event. You can watch the draw for the CNN Democratic debates. That's tomorrow at 8 p.m. Eastern. But until then, stick around and watch Wolf tell you who's made the stage. You can follow me on Facebook and Instagram at Twitter at Jake Tapper. You can tweet the show at the lead CNN. Our coverage on CNN continues right now. Thank you so much for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. 
Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.